This is Energy of Business Moments with Michael Seip, the show that takes you around the world to share interviews with some of the most successful and relevant people on the planet. Hear their stories and get the most important business lessons they have learned on their road to success and get exclusive advice on how to implement their business success into your life and business. Energy of Business Moments is brought to you by the Strategic Advisor Board and your host, Michael Seip. Welcome, everyone, to the Strategic Advisor Board Energy of Business Moments podcast. I am Michael Seip, your host, and today I have Paul Hatch, CEO of Vestria Capital. Paul, welcome to the show. Thanks very much, Michael. Glad to be on here. Yeah. Well, I love having people from the investment world coming onto the show, and I know you have an extensive background, so why don't you share with our audience a little bit about your background and what you're doing with Vestria? Sure. Uh, so I, I started and still identify as a naval officer. I went to, as you know, the Naval Academy, graduated in 79, spent six years there, never regretted a single day, uh, but knew I wanted to become an advisor. And I wanted to do something uh, that uh, I could help uh, clients uh, do well with and something that I uh, had unlimited potential. And being an advisor in the early 80s was, uh, was that ticket. I did that for a couple of years. And I decided I, I really loved working with clients, but I really loved working with advisors even more. And I became part of a management team and moved up from a field manager to eventually being part of uh, the home office uh, in New York. Uh, in those days, it was the just, just at the end of the century. And uh, if you had a laptop uh, and uh, and I did. Uh, they they thought you were an IT guy and a brilliant uh, new new uh, person, so they put me in a bunch. Uh, of uh, roles, including launching and building a website, which I had no idea what I was doing about, uh, but eventually got there, built a broker dealer, ended up running all of the investments uh, uh, over the next uh, decade for Citibank globally, Morgan Stanley globally, and UBS in the Americas, uh, and then decided to get out and uh, and do my own thing. I'd, ha- I'd worked for really large businesses for a long, long time. I wanted to be an entrepreneur. Uh, I'm a couple of years into this journey and I wake up every day and say, I'm the luckiest man alive. Oh, that's great, Paul. And when you talk about entrepreneur, there's a sense of freedom you get with that. So you, you've seen the other side of being an entrepreneur. What was the main catalyst for you to kind of be your own entrepreneur? Yeah, I, uh, you know, I, I, people would say like, well, gee, you went to a military academy, you worked for all these big bureaucratic banks. You must really like order. But the truth is, I like disorder. Uh, the truth is that uh, I have, I've been an entrepreneur since, uh, since I started in the military. And one of the things that really makes you good in the military is to play within the boundaries, but to play differently. And, uh, and, I, and I found that after a long time of working in big places, because I really enjoyed the opportunity of having a big impact, I was responsible for millions of clients and trillions of dollars. And that's a that's a high itself. Uh, but uh, in the end, because uh, much of what you're doing is influencing people from uh, all kinds of uh, different parts of the organization, all kinds of uh, constituents, you, uh, you, you, you the, the ability to make decisions. You actually think when you're, you're getting to be a fairly senior and I got there uh, that you'd, you'd be doing all those things. But that's not what you're doing. And only when you become an entrepreneur, 
do you uh, get to make all those decisions? That's the curse of an entrepreneur and the glory of it is that you get to make every decision you got to live with every one of them too. And you got no one to blame. You can't blame somebody else. You can't blame politics. You can't blame them anything except yourself. And uh, that's, uh, that's, it's humbling, uh, but it's also invigorating. Yeah. Well, on the invigorating side, that could be one of the sort of energy pieces that we feel about running our business. Sometimes we find though that there are moments when we're not so sure we made the right choice about our business. So would you share with our audience a little bit about how you kind of got Vestria going and then maybe a moment that just wasn't best for you, the kind of a low moment for you? Yeah. Uh, thanks for the question. Uh, I, I, by the way, I get those low moments almost every day, uh, which I'm sure most of you who are uh, early in your journey. And this is my second startup since leaving uh, the, uh, my, my last, uh, you know, uh, I was going to say real job, but I would say this is way more job than any job I've ever had. Uh, I, w- I worked for UBS, but since leaving UBS, I started a company with a couple of friends uh, and we, it, it's been very successful, but, uh, it, it, this will sound funny, but, uh, I, I wanted to do my very own thing. And I'd been with partners and everything for a long time on the bureaucratic side. These guys were great entrepreneurs, but, uh, they didn't want to employ capital. And I did. Uh, mm-hmm. and I think that's one of the really important things that you do when you're, uh, uh, when you're, uh, when you're an entrepreneur and you're a CEO is, is, uh, you got to get up in the morning and go find the money. Uh, that's going to bring all these ideas that you've uh, put together. And, uh, you know, almost everything you do is important as an entrepreneur. So I, I, I'm not, I won't go and say like capital is the only important thing. But in the business that I'm in, because I have to employ leverage a lot, capital is incredibly important. And I started this journey 120 days uh, ago. And so it's it's relatively uh, new, but I've I've died 120 deaths and <laughs> experienced 121 rebirths, and <laughs> I'm hoping that the same thing happens tomorrow. I, I get back up again to to go out and do it. But I'll tell you the the one uh, thing that uh, really said I, I I put together a deck with my team, spent a lot of time on it, uh, and I went to give it to my siblings. Uh, I have two sisters and a brother. They're all quite talented and experienced in their own right. So I thought this would be, oh, great. I'll go, you know, I'll go there and I'll pitch them. I'll get, you know, I'll get some money. I'll get the company, you know, started. And I, uh, I gave them the pitch and they didn't have any questions. And uh, in the next week, they all called me and said, they're not going to invest. And uh, oh, wow. I, it was uh, crushing because uh, if you're an entrepreneur, you know that, of course, you go to your family, you go to your parents, you go to your friends, you go to, you go to your, your th- and, and they're just going to give you money because they trust you. And uh, what I what I took away from that was I was rushing things and I wasn't and I wasn't ready to to uh, present. And uh, my brothers and sisters, although it was brutal, uh, and I think my brother actually liked it, uh, but my <laughs> sisters felt a little bit bad. But what they were telling me was, you're not ready and uh, we're going to we're going to give you a gift as uh, as easy as it is for us to write a check. We're going to write you a check. When you uh, when you've got your presentation down and you don't have it down, and so for those of you who are out there, it, it uh, and you want to get out there and you want to get going, uh, particularly on the capital raise, make sure you know you've done everything you can to be as perfect as you can. You're never going to get to be perfect, 
but you, it, it has to pass your own test. And when I re, re, re looked at what I did, I, I knew exactly what they were saying. I had complicated, which is what we all do. We all, we want, we're so excited about our idea. We want to tell every aspect of it. And I told every aspect of it. And when they finished that, they all said the same thing. By the time we finished, I had no idea what you were raising money for. And therefore uh, I couldn't possibly invest. And I had to, so I had to go back. We're doing quite, quite well now. And uh, that was the gift I got from them. But that kind of gift from your siblings, that's pretty crushing. Yeah. That's a great story, Paul. And for a lot of us, you know, it would be crushing and we'd probably wallow for a while on it. But I love the resilience you share here of like, okay, well, what can I learn from this? And you basically learn, oh, I'm kind of half-baked and I need to be more thorough about it. You learned a few things in that process. So a good, good learning moment and better to get it done out in front rather than partway through in the process of going. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, good. Well, tell us a little bit more about your business, what what your goal is in your business. I, I, um, I've been in the business for almost 40 years, and I've been responsible and accountable uh, for uh, clients' outcomes for a long time. I had all responsibility for all of our analysts, and I had responsibility for all of our products. And in 07 and 08, uh, when, the, when the panic came, uh, I realized uh, as hard as I tried, and as good as our advisors were, and they were, they were very good. Uh, we just didn't give them the tools and we didn't have the tools to properly uh, do this well. And I spent the, the next decade uh, in the large box space trying to make that happen and, uh, and, and, and couldn't. And, uh, and I left because while I, uh, I know that uh, large banks do a, do a good job, they do not do a great job. And it's because uh, the individual advisor and the individual client need a lot more freedom to make their own decisions about how they do it instead of the conflicts that arise out of that. So I devoted myself and am devoting myself to creating an independent system, a nationwide network of registered investment advisors uh, who have all the tools that they need. I trust and believe in every individual advisor. I had a good friend who used to tell me nothing good ever comes out of New York. And uh, for all my friends who are from New York, we didn't mean it that way. We just meant that uh, the, the, the great things uh, that make financial advisors really good come from uh, those men and women who are in Dallas, Texas and Des Moines, Iowa and Atlanta, Georgia. And that's, that's, where, that's where it happens. And so we're building uh, what we call an RIA accelerator. We help advisors grow and improve the client incomes and, and uh, experience improve the advisor's income and net worth and control their destiny by letting them have the final decision about what they do. We do that by providing three things. First, we give them capital. Once again, that word, uh, but they need it as well. They needed to run their businesses, to pay their rents, to get the, the databases, to, to create all the things they have to do to service their clients. We give them a cost-efficient platform so they don't have to try to build it themselves. And we offer differentiated uh, services like lead generation so they can do what they do best, which is to sit down with clients and understand their goals and uh, their needs and find ways to plan and, and uh, advise them. And so that's we've, uh, we've just started. Uh, we plan to have 20 offices around the country in the next five years. We're super ambitious, uh, but we're also humble uh, that we get an opportunity to work with the men and women that we respect and the job that they do. Yeah, 
thank you for sharing that. Having grown up myself under my dad's own business where he was a registered investment advisor, there were a lot of things that he just did not have access to. And you know, whether it was capital, whether it was the tools, whether it was you know, something from a technology perspective, there just wasn't a lot of resources. And so it sort of went old school, but the intent, the intention there was to help clients grow their money. And um, and so when you think about Wall Street and, and some of the bad raps that Wall Street might get, good is okay, right? As you were talking about for big banks, but at the same time, it could be great. And Thank so you. I love how you guys are a force multiplier to be able to help those RIAs accelerate their business and accelerate the results of their clients. Yeah, I mean, your, your dad worked in the battle days uh, and then you had to do everything yourself. And, uh, and those men and women were unbelievable, great pioneers that just worked so hard with uh, so little resources. Today, technology uh, is so fantastic. Truthfully, I tell people this, hey, you think you have, uh, you have great technology at these big places? You do not. The, the, the cutting edge stuff you guys don't get to. It takes you three years because it takes you a year just to do a vendor re- review. And anybody who's an entrepreneur knows that there's nothing worse than having some big global bank say, okay, would you once again, send me a copy of your fire, fire marshal procedures? Uh, you know? yeah. So uh, I, I think that's, I think that's true kind of all of uh, society that uh, a large part of what's going to happen in the future is the ability to employ technology actually empowers uh, a lot of people uh, and and uh, taking a look at Amazon and taking a look at some of its uh, competitors, you start to see that. Yes, Amazon will always be there and be huge, and and I'm sure they're going to be much bigger. But there are competitors that are starting to nip nip at the thing because they they are uh, they're empowering uh, other entrepreneurs, and that's that's going to be uh, I I think that's a theme we like and we believe in is uh, is using the technology to augment entrepreneurs, not get rid of, right? Like I, I, I go to go to Amazon, but when I go into a, or not, not Amazon, sorry. I go to Starbucks. I don't go there anymore. Uh, I, I respect the guy I made, you know, Howard did an unbelievable job for that company and, uh, you know, amazing uh, job as an entrepreneur. But right now I go to, I go to the the man or woman has two people in the coffee shop because I want to talk to them about the beans they got, where they got, like they're so impassioned about everything. We're trying to do that same kind of thing with, with advisors, give them uh, everything that they need so that their passion, their energy, and their commitment for their clients is, uh, is, uh, sh- is what sh- shines and what shows. Mm-hmm. Well, I love, I love your passion that you're expressing here. So tell us a little bit uh, like a, a great moment for you in the in the past, I guess, couple of years now of, of getting Vestria going. What's uh, been an emotional high for you and energetically kept you going? Yeah, actually, uh, we made an announcement um, a little over thirty days ago that we were we were an actual company and uh, we had we had gotten through a little bit of the the, the working capital uh, raise phase and we were ready uh, to have it. We have a strategic partnership. Uh, with a company called Dyes, uh, who's doing this amazing job uh, in automating uh, portfolio management, uh, construction, and and, uh, and 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 help creating opportunities uh, for uh, for advisors. And so we did. We made the we made our announcement. We got picked up by ten different uh, publications, 
And, uh, and uh, we, we can't always kind of judge what kind of attention we're getting by our LinkedIn uh, account. We got 50,000 views, which is, um, wow. you know, that's a, that's a lot for a, you know, a, a three person company. Uh, sure so sure we, uh, so we got 50,000 views. We got well over a, a, a thousand uh, likes and, and, uh, and uh, comments. And it was, it was really uh, heartening to me because I, I have uh, after 38 years, I, I have a fair amount of acquaintances and friends uh, through the industry. And I think of them all as friends uh, and uh, but uh, just as importantly, uh, people saw that our mission was something that resonated with them. Uh, we got lots of calls. We literally uh, booked dozens and dozens and dozens of appointments to talk to people who wanted to hear about what we're doing and how we're doing it. And uh, it, it makes all that hard work that you do. You know, you don't get this very often. Uh, but it makes that hard work that you put together something uh, that's, you know, uh, that's pretty good. And uh, you have to be careful about it, uh, Michael, because, uh, you know, there's highs and lows. And uh, no matter where you are, if you're high, you're going to get humbled soon. And if you're humbled, just hold on, because uh, somebody's going to come by and say like, oh, my God, this is so great. Thanks for putting all this together. You just have to you have to appreciate those moments. And when you're humbled, uh, you have to look uh, carefully inside and say, how do I turn this around? How do I make this a teaching moment for myself? And I remember uh, to celebrate nose. And I think I might've mentioned this to you uh, at Vestria. We celebrate nose uh, almost as much. Actually, we celebrate them more as you would expect, because we get a lot more nose than we get yeses, but we actually write them down on a piece of paper and uh, we've got it up on our wall. And uh, when we get to be a really big company, we're going to put it in bronze and put the names of every person uh, that added uh, and taught us a, a name. And the, and the first three people on uh, on that bronze plaque are my brother and my two sisters. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait to invite them up for a drink and uh, yeah. tell them how to toast them and how well they did, did for me, whether they yeah. meant it or not. Right. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. The, the words you used were teaching moments. And, and that's really, really what it boils down to. A no is a teaching moment. And whether it's reflecting inward and being humbled or whether it's seeing it, oh, maybe we could have done our homework a little bit better, whatever the reason, yeah, there's an opportunity to see why and how one can grow from it. And I love that perspective you have. It. That's wonderful. Thanks. Well, um, Paul, we're near the end of the show, but there's this one question that uh, we love to ask. And the question is, if you could meet anyone deceased or living, who would that be and why? Um, you know, uh, that's a really, it's a really good question. Of course, you go to many things, uh, old family members that you knew or heard about uh, that were truly extraordinary. Of course, your parents uh, I haven't gotten to the point where I would name my brother or my two sisters yet, but <laughs> perhaps one day. Uh, I met a lot. I've met almost every president since Richard Nixon. Uh, and uh, but uh, the person that came to mind for me is somebody that I think about an awful lot. Uh, I was a runner in in uh, high school, and uh, some of you have probably read this book or or saw the movie. By the way, the book is as good as the movie is. The book is better. 
called Unbroken, Louis mm-hmm. Samparini, uh, mm-hmm. who was uh, a kid who set the national high school mile record that lasted for 20 years uh, in 1934, uh, went to the 36 Olympics. Uh, but then when World War II came, uh, like uh, most young men uh, and women of his age, uh, wanted to help do something. He ended up getting uh, having a couple of crashes, which he survived, uh, and then getting captured by the Japanese and just having a horrific experience, as you would expect anybody who did that. But no matter what happened, he came back after it every time. And every time I think about some of these challenges that we have, things I think about this guy, and uh, from his highs to his lows, and he came back, and uh, and uh, he never he always had a reserve. And I always think about that it, as a former distance runner. That's what you what you find is it's not about your physical. It's all it's all mental. And that's what it is to be an entrepreneur. You got to get up every single day and you got to remember it's showtime and you got to get in there. And uh, there are other people on your team. They're all looking at you. Uh, and the second that you start to show weakness uh, or even uh, lack of uh, a commitment, mm-hmm. uh, you start to lose your company. And so for your own sakes, whether it's Lewis or somebody else, find somebody uh, that represents resilience at the extreme. And I think Mm -hmm. he does. Yeah. Oh, what a wonderful, wonderful story. That book is in my top five for sure. And I've read it a couple of times now. So I love that you you brought that one up and you are right. It is about resilience and commitment. And what a great lesson that you translated that into with business, you know, being an entrepreneur, being leading people. Yeah, really, really good, solid, solid example there. Well, Paul, uh, thank you for being on the show today. If people wanted to get a hold of you or the business and learn a little bit more, how can they do that? Uh, they can um, email me at phatch at vestria, which is V-E-S-T-R-I-A capital.com. And uh, uh, if you're just on your journey, you just want to talk about failing and, and embracing it, uh, uh, give me a call. I'm 64 years old. I love being a, an entrepreneur and I can't possibly think about ever doing anything else. Great. Chance to talk to your, uh, to your folks, Michael. Yeah, sure. And and your website would be vestriacapital.com? Yes. Okay. All right. Very good. Well, again, thanks for being on the show, Paul. The interview very much and best of luck to you and your team. Thanks very much. See you again soon, I hope. Yep. Sounds good. Thanks for listening to Energy of Business Moments with your host, Michael Seip. Please leave your feedback and visit strategicadvisorboard.com to get the latest and greatest business advisement on the planet. Follow us on social media for updates and we will see you on the next episode.